Welcome to Talking New Energy, a podcast from Delta EE, the new energy experts. We'll be talking about how the energy transition is developing across Europe, with guests who are working at the leading edge of this transition. Hello, and welcome to the episode. I'm sure many of you listening will have photovoltaic panels on your roof at home. I do, and it's a a hot sunny day is reaching the heady heights of 25 degrees here in Scotland where I live. So my photovoltaic panels will be very happy in producing lots of power. Some of you might be thinking about installing PV and you certainly won't be alone as the energy crisis means more and more people are thinking about generating some of their own electricity. And today we're going to look at the market of supplying photovoltaic systems to households. Across much of Europe, this has been quite a disparate market. Lots of small installers, some energy retailers, some solar specialists. Today, we're talking with one company that's taking PV to households across several European countries. And we'll be exploring what they're hearing from their customers, exploring their business model, and how they're looking to grow and scale their business further. And I'll be joined, as always, by a Delta E expert and colleague. So that's a long enough introduction. Let's say hello to our guests. First, Andres Thorsheim, founder and CEO of Otovo. Hello, Andres. Hi, thank you for having me. And welcome to the episode. Um, Andres, I'm sure many of our listeners have heard of Otovo, but also I'm sure many haven't. So can you start with an elevator pitch for Otovo? Yeah, so Otovo is a marketplace for solar and battery installations. um, And we operate in 10 European countries. And the way we go about things is that for the consumer, we're a place where they can get the solar quote online and they can buy solar panels online just as easy as they buy a, a shirt or a pair of shoes. Now, underpinning that sort of uh, web page where they get an e-commerce experience, we have a marketplace where installers uh, locally compete for uh, uh, the installation uh, work. So we vet installers. There's almost 700 installer companies on the platform from the north of Europe to the south of Spain, and they're qualified PV installation or electricians um, who input the cost of their uh, work, of their panels, of their transport costs, etc. And the cheapest guy with sufficient quality gets the gets the job, and uh, that's that's the one who will set the price on the web page when when you go in and check out the quote. And can you give us an idea of scale and address? You said 10 countries, but how many systems have you sold or how many are you selling each year? Yeah, we're selling about 2,500 per quarter. So that's about 10,000 per year currently. Now we're entering the UK, Austria and Portugal uh, now in August. So hopefully we'll be able to, to grow that quite significantly during uh, during the autumn. We've been at a pace of growth where we're growing at about 200 plus percent uh, on a yearly basis um, in recent quarters. And hopefully we'll be able to sustain that in, in 2023 and 2024 too. Yeah. Okay. And how long have you been going? When did you set up the company? Uh, we started in uh, in dark and rainy Norway back in 2016. Uh, we spent uh, two years in in uh, this environment where power prices are low and labor costs are, are high, uh, making the system work. Uh, yeah. But then having in Having succeeded in that, right, and if you can make it work in Norway, you can make it work anywhere, uh, we started rolling it out to, to other European countries. So we entered a neighboring Sweden in 2018, and uh, since then we've added uh, France, Spain, Poland, Italy, Germany, and, and then now uh, sunny UK, uh, Portugal, and Austria. 
You've been, you've been busy. You've had a busy few years then, and doing all yes. of that during COVID as well. Um, yes. What was the, out of interest? What was the spark that led you to set up Tovo, or what what drew you into this? Yeah, well, it's uh, you can have the long version or the short version, and I'll, I'll indulge in the long version this time. So basically, I, I was uh, I was working in the tech industry, and I didn't feel I didn't feel like I belonged to to energy problems or even climate problems. Uh, I was on the side making you know uh, cheap browsers for people in, in South Asia and, and Southern Africa and, and have them save money when when browsing the internet. That that was sort of my calling and my uh, my work. Uh, but then during a work trip in California, I, I got to visit Peter Carlson, who's now uh, founder and CEO of Northvolt, uh, Europe's largest uh, battery uh, factory startup. And uh, back then he was working at Tesla and uh, he showed me around the, the, the Tesla plant where they were making the, the Model S at the time. And to me, that was like coming into a cathedral. And I was like, wow, this technology is amazing. I need to read more about it. And uh, one thing led to the other. And I was reading about the declining cost of PV. And, and one day while I was doing that, I was looking at this cost curve uh, that probably everyone listening to this podcast has, has seen themselves about the mm. declining cost of solar panels. And two things occurred to me. First was solar panels will win on price everywhere in the world, even in northern northern Europe. Um, even in Norway. Even in Norway. And point number two, which was like less commonly thought about, was that once the panel becomes essentially free uh, towards the end of the 2020s, uh, the only remaining cost in solar will be the last mile cost. The cost yeah. of bringing that panel from the docks up on your roof where, it's, where it can be useful. And I recognize that as an e-commerce problem. Uh, so to me, it was, I didn't feel like I was changing industries. It was more like the solar industry came to me. Um, and sort of the, 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 the first leg of the journey was for the researchers. They needed to invent powerful and, and, and good enough solar panels. The second leg has been for the manufacturers. They had to be big, build big enough and efficient enough plants to, to get the cost of solar panels down. And now yeah. the third leg is for the tech guys. We need to sell this stuff online like you order an Uber, right? And, and that's, uh, that's what we're doing. Well, I'm glad I asked the question. And um, I'm very excited by your answer because I think the energy to, to make the energy transition work we need that blend of skills. You know, the energy sector has traditionally had engineers, energy engineers working in it, electrical, mechanical engineers. So to get that blend of tech, energy specialists, behavioral scientists, uh, all of those elements are, are necessary. Um, Definitely. I, I, and I tried uh, for, for a year, I resisted learning the difference between kilowatts and kilowatt hours, but uh, <laughs> I had to fold. Yeah. Um, Okay, let's say hello now to my colleague and our second guest today, Delta EE expert Nigel Timperley. Hello, Nigel. Uh, hi, John. Hi, Andreas. Um, Nigel, I know you're very interested in Otovo's business model. Um, can you explain a bit about why and if you want to contextualize that with your work at, on business models in general or not, up to you? Okay, uh, yeah, well... I'm one of the more commercial beasts at Delta. Um, I work on a service called New Energy Business Models. So as the name suggests, it's a bit of a mouthful, but it suggests that, um, it, you know, we see one of the big challenges is how, what are going to be the new business models that bring all these wonderful new technologies to market? What 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 is it that makes it possible? Clearly, for some, uh, one of the big challenges for a lot of the new in-home tech, you know, we're looking at EVs, we're looking at heat pumps, we're looking at solar, 
you know, there's a lot of capital costs. So something like um, subscription models or, you know, uh, long-term loan models and so on are, are of interest. But also then the, um, how do we make them competitive? Well, well, marketplace is a part of that as well. So those are all things we've looked at in a broad sense. Um, and uh, yeah, so so Atova is both of those things. As I understand it, you're looking at both as a like uh, subscription models, but you're also providing this marketplace. Um, and I'm interested in both sides of that. I mean, perhaps we could start with the marketplace. I mean, tell us a little bit more about how that works, because, you know, you, you, you went, Andreas, you went through the sort of various players there, right? You talked about, you know, the researchers who create the tech and then the, the manufacturers who produce it. And then the guys like yourself who create platforms. But like, we need installers in there as well. And they come together on your platform and seems to be a bit of a bottleneck in terms of installation right now um and uh, so so how how does that work you know what what what's the what's the process by which you attract installers and how they win um, win work on your platform excellent question now so um maybe our entry to the uk can serve as an example so we're entering the uk this summer and the the way we do that is we use the same technology the same software platform that we've been using in other uh, countries and what the software does is that when you input your address, it will recognize um, the the building on that address, uh, ask you questions in order to determine the inclination of the roof and other things, depending on what data are available about that building uh, from public sources and aerial photography, etc. But that it, it, that can work just the same way in every every country. Now, what you need to build locally in the UK is um, is the workforce. So um, uh, and, and the installers who are going to partake on the on the, on the platform. So what we typically do is we start with a list of certified installers or members of the Solar Energy Association, some kind of high quality source where you know that these people are um, um, are quality workmen. Then um, we'll cold call them through through our account manager and say, um, listen, we're starting this online platform. Um, we can make sales for you at the you know, prices that you're comfortable with. And if you're competitive, you'll get orders straight into your order book. Does that sound interesting? And to some guys it is. Yeah. And so they'll say yes. And then we'll, um, we'll ask them for the, for paperwork showing that they're an incorporated company, um, uh, that they've paid their taxes and other things that, that uh, help weed out the, the non-serious players. Then they register on the platform. They have an onboarding that takes a couple of hours where they input the, the labor costs of their sort of different skill sets, uh, the cost of scaffolding, of inverters, of panels, and all the equipment that goes into the, uh, into the system. And then uh, um, that is sufficient for us you know to, to combine the data about the house and the building with the data about their cost and then you can determine immediately what building 16 panels on a roof in yorkshire will cost uh, because there's no unknowns yeah. right we, we we know everything so we don't need to take the we know the shape of the building we know the cost of the labor and the equipment so we can give you a quote immediately online there's no need for a home visit yeah. and all that waste so so that's how it works um now, of course, this is handymen and they have varying quality. So before they get to compete freely on the marketplace, they need to do a certain number of test installations that get physically inspected by a third party um, inspector right, that helps okay. weed out the, the, the poor performers. And, and once they've passed that test, it's a, 
um, call it Darwinism or capitalism will, will make the, the better one get, get more work and the poorer ones less work and they'll get feedback. And usually even the, the guys who are not performing that well, they like the feedback that they get from the platform because they'll see, ah, my scaffolding is so expensive. That's why I never get jobs on, on tall houses, right? And they'll, that, right. that feedback loop is quite helpful to them to, to create efficiencies. Um, and so the result of this yeah. is that it ends up with a division of labor that's a bit different than it would have been without us in the loop because we'll do more of the marketing and the sales and the installer will um, will be more a pure play installer company. They, they won't touch PDFs as much. They won't do as much billing because we'll do that and then they'll be screwdriver in hand uh, a right. larger percentage of their time. Yeah. Andreas, do you find it? So I imagine, well, from work we've done looking at similar business models for heating installations, some installers are very happy not to do the sales and marketing and just turn up and do the installations. Others really enjoy that customer contact. They enjoy the quotes. Um, you know, they see that's part of their job. How do you see the split in the PV installer market? Is it a very clear split between people that like different parts of the job or does most of the market like what you're doing and happy to go on your platform? Oh, it's a bit of both. I think it's the same thing. And it's, it's like in the hotel industry. Some hotels are enjoy being on booking.com or hotels.com and others want to have more of a boutique uh, feel to them and, and won't par participate on that type of platforms. And, and we see kind of, I'd say, three types of uh, behavior on the platform. The ones who enjoy not doing sales and marketing who've, uh, at all and will turn on into merchants on the platform entirely. Uh, as you see eBay or, or Amazon merchants uh, yeah. also, right? It's, they, they turn into that. Uh, so it's a clear split of responsibilities. We do one job and they do the other. Yeah. Others will have us uh, provide work for one of several teams that they have. So they'll consider us a bit like their baseload of, of work uh, for, for their teams. And if for some reason they're, uh, and they will then have a, a backlog of projects, an order book that we provided to them. And if the other teams aren't fully utilized, they can eat a bit out of the the yeah. base load that we've provided. Um, so that's the sort of the second behavior. And the third behavior is players who primar primarily don't want to be on our platform, but use it as backfill when they have gaps in, in their order book. So they might be part of auctions for government buildings or, or CNI projects. Um, and then they'll be fully utilized in April and in May uh, and in July. But in June, they're a bit short of work. And so they'll just do cutthroat prices, fill the order book and have their teams fully utilized during June. Um, and, and that's also nice because it creates a bit more sort of competitive pressures uh, on, yeah. on the platforms. Consumers get a bit you know, better prices because of these guys. Uh, but you can't really build your empire on those because they, they come and go and are a bit more unstable. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that description is really interesting. Thanks for those three categories. I, I, I did wonder, actually, if the current crisis was either a blessing or a curse and, and for, for you. Because, I mean, obviously, first thought is it's a blessing, right? It's boom time. Everybody wants PV. But, of course, if all those installers have got more work than they know what to do with, what do they need you for? So, you know, is, is it good for your business or bad for your business? Well, the third category is all but disappeared, right? Because no one's... Right. No one's got empty slots in their uh, schedule. Uh, on the other hand, they 
are much more keen on avoiding waste. Uh, so driving over to an old lady's place, drinking tea, uh, going back and doing the calculations, creating a PDF, sending the offer only to get a no, that's terrible these times yeah. because you could you could be out there making money, right? Uh, so that's very yeah. wasteful. And our platform is extremely rapid in getting that no. <laughs> we get that lady to <laughs> yeah. say no very fast because she'll go online, she'll get a quote and she'll say, my God, 8,000 pounds. I, I can't afford that. I don't, don't, want, don't want to do that. And if we can get her to know that it's a no within a second, that's great. Everyone yeah. saves a lot of time. She does, the installer does, even we do. Um, you're you're and, driving and efficiency. Then, yeah. And, yeah. And that means like the, the, part, the installer, he can avoid all those missed opportunities. He can avoid the waste of driving, of creating offers. So at, at, in boom times, yeah. he should definitely not make PDFs. He should definitely not be in Excel, right? The, the installer should be doing the valuable work that only he can provide. And that's, um, that's in the electrical cabinet. That's up on the roof. Um, that's in his warehouse, yeah. getting, getting the right number of panels into the, in, into the car, right? These things are, um, are valuable and, and the missed opportunities yeah. aren't. Um, so, so I think, um, it's a bit, it's a blessing and a curse, right? We could be selling a lot more, uh, but we are constrained by the ability to, to install and the availability of, uh, of equipment. Yeah. Address just unpicking that a bit. What what are you seeing from customers then? How has demand changed over the last year? Maybe picking markets you've been in for a while rather than new markets because you've not got the comparison there. Well, it, it's quite easy to answer because it's the same thing everywhere. It's uh, it's exploded and it started in the Nordics in September. Why did it start there? Because they're the most liberalized um, markets where most of the consumers are on live spot prices. Mm. So they'll get the wholesale price directly into their bill immediately. So in September last year, demand tripled in, in Norway. Um, and then the the shockwave to the European power uh, system just uh, rippled through market after market with sort of Sweden second, Italy and Germany, third and fourth, Spain, fifth, etc. So depending on the degree to which governments lifted their price caps or yeah. um, or the fixed price periods uh, ran out for consumers or whether consumers were directly exposed to power prices, they all felt the power bill explode and went in search of alternatives to unpredictable and expensive grid power. And I think that's been a boom to to us in the solar industry. Um, heat pumps have seen the same um, explosion mm -hmm. in demand. But even here in Norway, I heard like the the, uh, the guys selling wood for uh, for wood heating, right? They they've never experienced a season like this. So every alternative to grid power is seeing a, an explosion in demand. Yeah, and that that yeah. three times increase in demand that's sort of typical across the different countries. Yes, it's pretty stable. It's uh, so everything three x uh, from when the the power price uh, sort of bled through uh, to yeah. consumers. Um, it was tapering off somewhat in the beginning of 2022, but then the the Ukraine war and the response and tightening of gas markets um, came about, and, and yeah. I think that just consolidated demand at these high levels. Um, yeah. And I think. What will happen now is that even if prices come down somewhat next spring, uh, demand won't. 
because what you're doing when you're buying insulation for your house or a heat pump or a solar energy insulation, it's not as much buying cheaper power in wholesale markets or in the spot market. What you're doing is you're buying a hedge, you're buying an insurance against future yeah. high prices. Mm-hmm. And when consumers have experienced the disaster of erratic prices, they're going to they don't forget they're going, they're, they're going to want that insurance right so it's yeah. like if you've seen your neighbor's house burn down you're going yeah. to want fire insurance for the rest of your life yeah um, yeah, yeah so, so i think more, uh, this is a permanent shift to to um home efficiency energy efficiency and mm-hmm. and uh, home energy production and demand so in terms yeah. of paying you've got two models nigel i know you're really interested in the subscription model as well as the, the paying up front model yeah um, yeah, I can see you've got different categories of customers. Some customers are struggling to pay the next energy bill. Other customers can probably, they don't want to pay the higher energy prices, but they can, and they might have money saved up from a few years of COVID. And um, so, yeah, really interested in understanding that subscription business model a bit more. Nigel, I know you've got lots of questions, but Andres, do you want to start with just in a nutshell, what is that subscription offer? And then Nigel, you can pull up to that. Yeah, so the um, pay-as-you-go um, model for solar energy was invented and developed in the US and was an invention that drove this residential solar market in the US with companies such as Solar City, later Tesla, uh, Sunrun yeah. and Sonova. Um, being the champions of of that product. And what it does is that a way for the consumer to rather than paying 5,000 or 10,000 euros on day one, um, you chop that price up into monthly installments um, or you pay for the for the solar power the same way you buy grid power. Uh, So in different ways, you're making it into a a monthly payment. And because solar energy is so affordable compared to grid energy, you can start saving on day one, on month one. And that expands the market to all those people who don't have the, the, the investment opportunity on day one. There's an obvious question, Andres, the length of the contract. So how long do customers have to sign up for? And what's typical? Um, the customer signs up for 20 years. And um, that's been the norm in the U.S. market since this emerged in 2016. And when we started in Europe, um, we also created 20-year contracts as the norm. And uh, um, consumers are comfortable with that because with a contract that is 20 years, it's long enough uh, so that the monthly bill is small. Um, you amortize it over a long enough time. Yeah. If you amortize it over a longer time, the monthly payment is smaller. Um, yeah. Even if it's more, a bit more expensive in the long run, it, the monthly installment is low enough to beat the power price. And still yeah. you get 10 years of free power at the end of the period if you keep yeah. the system, right? So it's, um, it's, it, that's what makes it attractive on a monthly basis. Um, and of course, you could. It's, this could be theoretically a two-year or eight-year or 12-year or a 28-year contract. It's kind of arbitrary to put it at 20, but it's something the consumer understands as a, as a, as a long amortization. It creates attractive monthly rates. Um, and 
I don't think they ask a lot more questions than you would. And it's kind of the, the, the than you would if you're building a, a nuclear power plant or a gas plant, because it's exactly the same model, right? It's just not individual. The, uh, the, the state or the utility builds a big power plant and they have the ratepayers pay for it over decades. And it's exactly the same model. You're just doing it in a super small scale on your roof, right? Yeah, we've got energy as a service already, as you say, advertising the cost of a power plant over many years. Yeah. Nigel, you had a, I know you're interested in length of contract and moving house, for example. Well, yeah, indeed. Cancellations, customer defaults, um, and then also the flip side of that, which is the finance provider, because finance providers tend to want collateral um, and, and, um, and, and, you know, adding in the the b2c customer adds a sort of random factor where you're not entirely sure what's going to happen um are you able to explore some of that yes so um let's start at the financing end of this this is an asset that is in high demand um, um uh, for financing right because it's it's an attractive product it's a distributed infrastructure where the counterparty isn't one corporation uh, it's thousands and thousands of European homeowners. And that's a good category because it's, it's, the, it's, it's kind of the top of the demographic pyramid. It's the people who own their own uh, the homes. They typically have high creditworthiness and the chances that they'll all default at once are very low. They have individual lives with individual circumstances. So the credit profile of that portfolio is already quite good. Then the attribute of the product is good because it's uh, a product where when the consumer gets this product, his ability to pay increases, which is different from a bank loan in any other category, uh, because the utility bill falls by more than the uh, solar power bill increases, right? So uh, you're freeing up cash. So it's a wonderful credit product for the for the uh, investor, whether it's a debt investor or an equity investor, because it's one that's freeing up cash um, uh, at the other end of, of the contract. Um, now, um, uh, of course, if you're uh, if you're a lender into this, um, you will ask whether you get your money back. What type of risks are you running? Um, and the consumer's circumstances may change, and so you want to credit score them um, uh, once you you get them on board. And we do that, and the U.S. players do that with FICO scores or equivalent in in the different markets. Um, and the worst payers they cannot take part in this. Um, right. Right, you cannot give money away to to people, or give an asset away um, to, to people who will not be able to pay for it. Um, then there's provisions on what happens if you move. Not everyone has a horizon of living in the home for twenty years, and then there's yeah. a. Um, a, a pay or a stay a provision in the contract by which you either pay out the remainder of the contract when you're selling your house, and that's typically quite feasible because you're getting paid a million for your house, right? So, so that's okay. Yeah. Um, or um, you're going to sell the house with this subscription uh, as part of the deal. Um, people are used to that with with gas subscriptions and other uh, other types of. Um, charges that go with the house as you buy it, you'll consider that while, while buying it. And, yeah. and this, it's kind of the same demographic that moves in as was moving out. So they'll typically find the same things. They'll typically find the same things attractive. Um, and um, as for the maintenance and operation of this, it's a great product because it's there's no moving parts in solar uh, yeah. power. So the yeah. panels typically stay up there and, and don't do much. 
and in Europe, there are sufficient amounts of rain for these things to clean themselves pretty much. Uh, so the only, the only challenge over the lifetime is the inverter that is not scheduled to last for 20 years. So in the contract, uh, we will change the inverter if it malfunctions and that's typically scheduled after 10 to 12 years. You'll have to do one inverter change um, halfway through the contract roughly. Um, yeah. and, and that's part of the, the contract we'll, we, we're, um, um, we're, we're planning with an inverter change halfway through every contact, contract. Yeah, yeah. Gosh, so in a sense, what it's a sort of almost like a. I mean, I take your point about the demographic. It's almost like a swarm deal. You know, you're prepared to live with a certain amount of default, I guess, because you know it just becomes a numbers game, right? The vast majority don't default, and therefore you just edge in yeah. a certain amount of loss as a yeah. um, an operational cost, I guess. Yeah. You do right, and it's uh, and and the data from this, and luckily we have 10, 15 years of data from the U.S. now um, yeah. with with the, with the you know, the pioneers in this industry, and yeah. they have incredibly low default rates and incredibly uh, low losses given default, and the reason being that the consumer, if he defaults on this payment, will replace those kilowatt hours with more expensive kilowatt hours from the regular right. utility. So it's the stupidest bill not to pay when you're in mm -hmm. uh, financial trouble. So, so that motivates the consumer to, to pay these bills, even if there's unpaid parking tickets and tuition fees yeah. and whatever you have out there, right? That's, uh, those are probably um, better to default on, right? What happens with the feed-in tariffs or equivalent schemes? You know, does that accrue to the householder or to the, um, or, or to the finance provider? Uh, in Europe, uh, I'd say all or almost all benefits that are provided by governments or local governments accrue to the uh, consumer. Really? So investment aids, uh, tax credits, feed-ins, um, the whole value of the power in our contract uh, goes to the consumer. So the consumer basically pays us for the infrastructure yeah. and... If it's a rainy day and there's no sun hitting those panels, it's their problem. Now, if right. it's a very sunny day and they can sell some power back to the grid, that's their benefit. Um, right. But the that, that performance risk and that technical risk are really well understood with PV. So that's yes. people are happy to take that, and you're happy to take the performance risk on the PV panel and one one yes. to change a, a contract. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's it distributes the the risk and trust in the perfect way, because what you the question you'll ask when you're about to get solar panels on your roof is, what do I really know about Longi, or what do I really know about uh, Futura Sun, or about mm. Fronius or Solar Edge? These aren't exactly brands like BMW or Mercedes, right? right? Even if maybe many of the listeners on this podcast will recognize those brands. It's it's not something that everyone has grown up with and is is, is accustomed to. So, how can you know that it's this is a top quality brand when you're yeah. when you're talking to me? When I put on the on the web page at atobo.co.uk, like you're getting a Fronius inverter. How how, do, yeah. how does a consumer know whether that's good? Well, the proof is that I'm willing to own that Fronius inverter in your home for 10 years, and um, and I know that if it malfunctions after five years. You're, 
you're in the right of having that thing replaced, right? So I'm ready yeah. to own, I'm ready to own that thing and, and sell you the service that it provides. Um, yeah. and, and I'll have much higher costs if, if that thing malfunctions. So I'm, I'm putting my money where I'm, my, my mouth is because I'm buying it myself. Well, there's a, you know, there's a famous phrase, risk is best borne by the company able to understand it and take it. And in that yeah. example, you're far better off, Otova's far better off to uh, understand that risk and choose their inverter manufacturer compared to the customer. Yeah. Um, given our time, there's loads more questions I'd like to ask Nigel. I'm sure there's lots more you'd like to ask as well. Uh, but we better get on to the talking new energy crystal ball. So I'm going to set the, bring it out, here it is in front of me, and I'm going to set the dial to 2030 today, so eight years' time. A uh, different question for each of you. Nigel, uh, your question. So this as-a-service business model for, well, both the marketplace and the as-a-service business model isn't unique to, to photovoltaics. It's there for heat pumps, but it's not ubiquitous. It's not widespread at the moment. There's not that many companies mm. doing this. So by 2030, how widespread it will it be, do you think? And will it be new entrants like Atovo or large established energy companies or a mix of both? So that's your question. Uh, Andrew, uh, short question, snappy answer, please. Andreas, <laughs> <laughs> um, for you, uh, what will Atovo look like in 2030? And I'm not so interested in scale, more about what will you be doing exactly the same thing as you're doing now? Or are there new things you want to do or enhancements? That you want to bring to market as well so okay. nigel let's start with you and then to address um okay it's, it's it's an interesting one this because as a service models have really taken off in b2b much less so in b2c um for all sorts of reasons but you know a single b2b customer could be easier to sell to it's a bigger prize once you've sold to them they're probably more predictable in terms of their demand profile you know you can you can think about is very easier to credit score there's a whole bunch of reasons why b2b is where you might start uh, that doesn't mean b2c isn't attractive it just probably means it needs a bit more thinking about my, my actual feeling from from recent work is that actually we are we are at the start of of an s-curve of adoption of solar um, I'm absolutely sure that uh, um, Andreas is sitting in the right industry, in the right space. Um, and I, I do think it, as a service has got a lot to offer, uh, not just in PV. I think it's got a lot to offer with EVs and heat pumps. All of these high value products with big price tags. It's My, my worry is that is there is whether the finance people will come on board. We're, we're talking to, we're actually talking to asset light leasing managers in banks at the moment to get a sense of that. But, but I think a lot of it's just familiarization. Um, I talked to one senior asset leasing manager at a, a large global, you know, UK bank, and they talked about how they'd put hundreds of millions behind a smart metering deal and had surprised themselves. And they were now looking at new energy. And a lot is just familiarization. I think we've seen a very slow um, runway with that, whereas people have got on board with what the risks are. There is potential to amortize, um, even, so, uh, even to take... Uh, um, charges over future energy flows uh, and the points that you've made there Andreas about the the, the unusual nature of, an, of 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 this business that you everybody needs energy one way or another so that that does change the game it's not just like having a finance deal on a tv it does change the game and I, I do think we could be seeing something quite 
quite interesting. So yes, I'm very bullish about as a service in B2C over the next 10 years. I, I think B2B will lead the way, but I be, think B2C will follow. Sorry, okay. that was a long answer, but, but it's a complicated picture. But I think we are starting to see hearts and minds come on board, particularly in the finance community, which is which is crucial. Thanks, Nigel. That was great. Um, Andres, your question. In 2030, I think uh, we will have added to the kilowatt hours we're selling from your roof uh, batteries that can store those kilowatt hours to when they're most needed. And we will have added other components to that system, EV chargers, maybe uh, the water heaters, heat pumps that act in concert um, with your with your needs. More importantly, I think uh, that providers like ourselves who own tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of assets in a fleet across a price zone, across a country, will be able to do things with that fleet that the individual owner can't. Mm-hmm. We can uh, provide grid services or in different ways, arbitrage, um, capacity, frequency, uh, energy, price um, imbalances in a way that provides a service to the wider community and pays the, 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 the individual participants in this. Um, so I think that the first step is put solar panels on, on the roofs. Second step is put batteries where those solar panels are. And then third is add software to this. So these things play like a piano and not individual tangents. Yeah. Okay. So it's quite interesting, uh, Andreas. I see other companies a bit like yourself trying to do all of that in one go. You're focusing very much on getting to scale first on PV or PV and battery first. And then once you've got to scale or, you know, once you've got enough momentum and traction, you'll move on and add those other layers you talked about. We know we're uh, every day we're putting assets out in people's homes where they've signed a contract uh, to be with us for 20 years. Um, so the, the average tenure left in our portfolio remains at 19 years all the time because we're adding so many new ones. Um, so we're, we're the, the accumulated graph of this is looking very, very steep, right? So, so every day I'm building a, a relationship with new people, right? And I think it's the it's a smart approach. And I come from subscription, online subscriptions, um, and I know that once you once you create that relationship, that's the best starting point for adding new new stuff. Doing all at once, it's a bit like thinking about the final when you're in the quarterfinals. That only means you get knocked out in the in the cup phase, right? You don't you you need yeah. to think about the game you're playing right now. Yeah. Nigel, one question you didn't uh, get to. Uh, startups or new entrants like Atova? Sorry, probably not a startup anymore, Andres. Uh, I call you a new entrant. Or I'm established. Honored to, be, uh, to be categorized as a startup still. <laughs> or large established energy companies. Do you see innovation coming from all areas? Or do you think it's companies like Andres that are really driving the innovation and the change here, Nigel? Um, I think it's coming from the startups, but I think that the, there'll be lots of partnerships with energy companies because energy companies do have a, a role to play. And, and um, I can see, you know, I can see the energy company of the future becoming sort of this atomized entity, which just buys in and partners with skills rather than having to do everything themselves. So I could see you, you must be talking to energy companies as potential partners, I imagine, Andreas. That's how I would see it anyway. So I would see it as a partnership deal rather than a, a them or us. Um, okay. Thanks. Well, uh, 
fascinating discussion really enjoyed it um lots more i'd like to carry on with but we better draw it to a close there thanks very much andreas really enjoyed your company today fantastic uh, conversation thanks thanks nigel thanks john thanks andreas and thanks to everyone for listening we hope you enjoyed the episode and look forward to welcoming you back to talking new energy next week thanks and goodbye if you're as passionate about the energy transition as we are then please keep in touch. You can follow us and me on Twitter, LinkedIn, or subscribe to the podcasts on your chosen podcast platform. If you like the podcast and like sharing, then please do rate us. And to listen to archived episodes, to read transcripts, and to see the latest Delta EE insights, then please visit www.delta-ee.com. Mm-hmm.